Hello, welcome to Journey into an Unknown World. I'm Dr. Margaret and I've decided that I'd like to talk to you about commitment. Now that's a strong word for many things that we all talk about. Commitment to what? Commitment to a business, to a marriage, to a child, commitment to an idea, to emotional some things that are going on. This is just so much with that word commitment. And when we hear that word, in my world anyway, it seems to me that most people are saying, oh dear, I'm committed to this, I'm missing out on something else, I can't break my commitment because if I do, something won't work, other people will get upset with me, I'll be letting people down in some way, so I have to keep on and do whatever is necessary to do, no matter who appreciates it or not, I will stay in the commitment. So what I'd like to do here is talk about how we make ourselves suffer. So I'm going to use me again. Obviously, I can't talk about my patients. I, back when I was 20, came out of a dysfunctional family, father coming out of war with lots of trauma, mother having been through it, bombed every night, me too, and so on. And so a lot of yelling, a lot of screaming, a lot of everything going on. And I had, by the time I was seven, committed myself to the belief that I would be a registered nurse. In other words, three years of training in nursing. I had no idea about surgeries or whether I would want to specialize. I had no idea about what kind of person I would be as a nurse. It was simply that I had seen suffering and had made up my mind that I was going to put bandages on people and that I was going to speak nicely and sweetly to them, use my healing skills and make them better. That's all I lived for. It never crossed my mind that I could specialize. It never crossed my mind that I could go on to be so much more as I indeed I have done. But let me go back to that time. So here I am. I'm 16, old enough to work. And so on my weekends between studies, I decide to go and be a nurse at a local hospital called the Home and Hospital for Incurables. That in itself is still in existence and it still has that name. How would you feel if you were put into a place with that name? Not very well, huh? You feel like, okay, I go in here to die and that's exactly what it was. I was working on the women's side and so I was working with people who were eaten up with rheumatoid arthritis, dementia, but here and there, there were patients who were war casualties. One woman had broken her back in a car accident and there was nowhere else to put her but here. But it turned out that she had been a matron and it turned out that as a result of my going every weekend, she would teach me. Until one day I arrived, full of expectation, full of questions, ready to ask more, and her bed was empty. She had passed on. I didn't know why. To this day I don't know why. But I definitely knew 
that she was in that bed there for me. And I felt her love. I felt her tenderness. She never lost it. Meanwhile, in the same room with her was another woman who could get out of bed, who would bitch and moan all the time about where this is, where that is, what she wanted, what she didn't want, complain about the food and so on. And every time I had to deal with her, a dread came over me, a part of me that was like, oh dear, she's so ungrateful. I have to deal with this kind of thing all the time. But then I would turn around and listen to the matron and feel like my soul was blessed. Yes, I was swinging the pendulum in great extremes, but I was also learning the difference in the way the brain works, the psychological aspects of how we process what is going on around us. Now for the matron, everything was taken away from her. She couldn't do anything except for breathe and turn her head. She was lucky there. Some people can't even breathe on their own. So she thought that was a miracle and appreciated the fact that she could breathe and because she could breathe, she could talk. And as long as she could talk, she could teach. And here am I at 74 saying, I hope my brain doesn't go wrong on me because as long as I live, and I could live to be 100 because my dad's 100 now, that with a smart brain, I can still teach, even if my body doesn't work. Now, that sounds like negative, doesn't it? But the thing is, I want you to understand by this example that you are what you think, and those emotions that you manifest, especially the negative ones, are usually a summation of your own internal dialoguing with yourself where you have told yourself you are disgruntled, disappointed, upset as a result of that because nothing came up to your expectations, nothing fitted in with your assimilated ideas to suit you. In other words, your temperament has become unbalanced. Now in another show I was talking about the soul coding and I want to say that in this particular moment I'd like to talk about the worst side of us. What our spirit does to teach us to not do something. In the soul coding we have what we call the chief feature. There are seven of them and none of them are really nice. For example, self-deprecation saying your body and every part of you is not worth a thing, self-destruction, spoiling everything you start to do, procrastination, saying that nothing you're going to do will ever come to anything, so why even start? Martyrdom. You want to sit and make sure everybody else gets their lunch. And if there's none left for you, it doesn't matter because you're telling yourself you've got the satisfaction of knowing that you have fed all those people. How about stubborn? I know what I want. I know where I'm going. I know what I'm doing. I don't want to listen to anyone else's point of view because if I do, they might change my mind. And if they change my mind, then what am I going to do? I'm not going to be a weakling. I am going to give up. A lot of us have that. 
How about greed? Well, I've got four ice creams. I'm not going to share them with anyone else. I want to eat them all myself. After a while, hey, I've eaten up my four ice creams. I'm going to go to the store and buy six boxes of it before it sells out because it's on special. By the time you've eaten those, maybe you should be saying, I've had enough of that ice cream. I'll try a different flavor. But now you go to the shop, you try to buy the same ice cream again. Now you're frustrated because the shop owner hasn't ordered any more. It's his fault, you're suffering, that you don't have any more. So now you start searching. You search all over the place trying to find this one item you want. And ultimately it comes to a point where you're so frustrated because you can't find that particular brand that you tell yourself, I'll never eat ice cream again. You deny yourself something. And so one of these features is your deniability. In other words, self-denial says, I am not what everyone thinks I am. I am not even what I think I am because I don't have any idea at all, really, about who I am because I've never bothered to stop and question the way my life is and all the things that I'm doing in this world. Whether you like it or not, you're using one of those, possibly two of those. And when you're using them, you're in your own way. So I'd like you to take a deep breath for a minute and ask yourself, what project have you been trying to do expecting others to carry the burden of it for you when all the while you could have been doing something on that project yourself? Have you been procrastinating about it? Or do you have a project going where you feel like you're holding up everything because no one else around you is doing their job properly? Are you in control? Or are you just being stubborn? fixed on your way is the best way. Maybe you're saying, I don't want to bother my workers, they're all busy, so I'll just stay late. I'll work till midnight and get most of the work done so that when they come in in the morning they don't have so much to do. You're being a martyr. You're sacrificing yourself. Okay. Maybe someone came and praised you and told you, hey, you're fantastic, look what you've done. And you just shrug your shoulders and say, it's just what I do. You put yourself down, self-deprecation. Hey, you know, it's, I'm not going to take praise. I've put a lot of hard work into this. It's just what I do. Of course you need praise. You need admiration. Some of us even need to be idolized. Like if we're a rock star or something. I think you get the general idea here that I'm talking about that in our soul coding is this part of self that sounds negative, but it's there for a reason. It's there to stimulate you to realize that you don't have all the answers and that there is still a great deal to learn about the world, human nature, the things that people say and the things that people do. When I was, oh, 20 or so, I stopped nursing, I got married, and in the process of being married, I also got to do psychology and psychiatry because that's where my first husband was working. 
That opened a whole new door to me in my nursing abilities. Suddenly, hey, I'm thinking something. It's got a name. It's paranoia. What was I thinking? Hey, you know, my dress is too short. Someone's going to see my fat legs. Oh dear, I'm not very good looking. Oh dear, something, something else is wrong. Now, I'm walking down the hallway feeling like I'm the center of attention. Everybody's noticing everything wrong with me. Paranoia. We all do it. We do it in school. We do it where, and that invites bullying because a lot of people, they feel that insecurity coming off you with psychometry. And okay, you want to play the game? You want to see just how insecure you are? I'll test you. I'll bully you and see if you cry. See if you whine. I got a sign in my counseling room. It says, whining with a circle and a line through it. Signpost. No whining. Okay, when did you last go shopping and there's a young mom with some kids and the kids want the candy or something or toy or something and she says no and they go, why not, why not, I want it. And she gets angry. You see, nobody likes to hear someone whining. But are you whining in your head? Are you sitting down telling yourself that nobody cares about you and your projects or your work or the things that you want to do? I learned from my mother when I was very young that all the whining in the world and self-talking, and she did it out loud, didn't solve the problem. The fact that my mother was a cripple and couldn't walk very far was a reality and I can understand her limitations. It was very painful for her to stand. She went through lots of surgeries. Her world was her church two miles this way and the movies two miles that way. And that was an effort. And if we were going to go anywhere, we had to be sure that we had everything that she needed and everything done in the most convenient way. So it taught me discipline as a child. It taught me to be aware outside the box, to think beyond this very moment. And so over time, I learned as I got older, as I was nursing and moving into psychology, that all these thoughts that I'd had about preparation for the future and the disappointments that I had had when things didn't work out the right way, were overwhelming. I truly believed that whatever I was going to do was going to be limited, restricted, and rebuttaled. In other words, someone would say, that won't work. And so rather than wait for them to tell me it won't work, I told myself, it won't work. Now I'm feeling positive. Hey, I'm going to go out in the world and I'm going to do this thing, whatever it might be. And then I bump into people who say, well, if you're going to do that, you realize you have to be this and you have to be it this way and that way. And I would say, but it's not what I'm seeing. It's not what I'm visualizing. I'm listening to my spirit guides. They're telling me the way to do it. And people would say, yes, but that won't work. 
it's not been proved that it will work. So why would you want to waste time trying to do it? Well, it wasn't long before I realized, hey, I had to be a pioneer. <laughs> I've I got to do what nobody else wants to do. I've got to go where no one's gone before, to quote Star Trek. I really love that show, by the way. I'm sure you do too, because it opened up our minds and our imaginations to what is possible. Back in those days when I sat down with my little young ones playing at my feet, watching the first Star Trek shows, people disintegrating and reappearing somewhere else, people with little tiny phones talking to one another just by tapping it on their shoulder. Sound familiar today? Yes, we've got it. The technology has come. But where did it come from? Out of a movie, out of an idea, out of someone's mind, out of someone's creativity. And where did that come from? From the oneness. Because all things that we manifest here on earth were already dreamt of, created in the oneness. We just had to wait to get born in order to dream it up on earth, make it and give it to the world to play with. Edison didn't know that when his first light bulb worked that Las Vegas would exist with the trillion billion lights. What would he say if he could walk down that street today? Wow, little did I know so much could come so far. We make claims that Jesus prophesied that we would see the religions of the world the way they are today, based upon his philosophy. Did he see that it would divide from the Jewish Essene philosophy into Catholicism, into amalgamation of different Christianity kind of type religions? Of course not. He was on earth. He was just channeling the oneness, spiritual energy of the divine essence of God in a time when nobody knew that one could channel the divine essence of God and therefore be the Son of God. So let me open up your mind right now to an idea that you probably are going to go, oh my God, I can't say that about myself, but I want you to say, I am the daughter or I am the son of God. That's so simple. Because you see, God created you in every sense. Your spirit, your experiences, and everything that you do on this planet has evolved because God gave you creativity and a free will. A free will to explore whatever God has created so that you can have an experience, an experience that will allow you to spiritually want to return to the God force and be a part of the world as a teacher whenever you incarnate. So here we have to say, if you're listening to this, do you believe that you've lived before? Do you believe you'll live again? Or do you think that this is the end of you, your bones are in the ground and no one will ever, ever know you existed. So maybe you're pushing yourself out of greed to be known, 
to write 4,000 books and leave messages to the world and you may feel satisfied. But what happens if there's suddenly a flip in the earth, earthquakes happen, water comes where land is and land is where there was water. Where's your books? Where's your words? It's gone. So where is all that you have done in this world recorded? It's in the Akashic Records. The Akashic Records are divided into two parts. The truth that has manifested and the fantasy and illusions that never did. The fantasy and illusions are the part of our creative self that we turned our back on. The opportunities, instead of fighting, to sit down and shake hands and make a peace pact. The opportunities within a family to say, I'm in a mood, please let me have half an hour to just be quiet and rest. Then I will get up and deal with your issues. I once was counselling a family where the husband was really working very, very hard and very, very long hours. And the minute he walked in the door, he met things like screaming six children and mom saying, the washer's gone wrong, and this gone wrong, and I need you that, and did you bring some money because I can't bet this, and we got no money for that, and it just went on. And he went off and had an affair with another woman. And the wife came to see me and said, how could he do that? I'm at home with all these kids, and I've got all this, and I've done all that, and this and that, and he's not coming home, and he's not fixing the washer, and he's not fixing this. And I had to help her to see that nobody wants to be attacked after a hard day, that nobody wants to be blamed for someone else's life and the way that they've handled that day. So let me bring that back to you and what I was talking about, these chief features in your soul structure. Your choice in whatever you chose to make it a little bit difficult for you to test your personality will come up and hit you in the face. So okay, let's say you throw a party. Let's say your chief feature is the martyr. So you stay up all night, baking cakes, making sandwiches, doing whatever it is in celebration of your new job. You've invited everybody on Facebook. You've invited everybody at work. You're expecting at least 30 to 50 people to turn up. So you've made so many sandwiches. And on the day and on the time, you're waiting, you're watching your clock, your best friend turns up, a couple of work colleagues turn up, your neighbour pops in, she's made a cake anyway because she heard you were having a party, which adds more to what you have. And by the end of the evening, 10 or 12 people have turned up and there's all this food. What do you do with it? I discovered something recently and I want to share that with you. There's a law in America that if any restaurant has food that's left, i.e. self-help food, they're not allowed to give it to anyone who would love food to feed the mouths of their children and family at home because they have no money. In many restaurants where it's that kind of place where you pay a lump sum and then you help yourself to whatever food you fancy, such as Chinese, Mexican or something, that at the end of that day, that food is still there. It may look a little dry, it may be a little, you know, old, but to someone who's starving, it's food. 
Why can't they stand outside the back door and wait while all that food is put into a to-go box and they can go home with a, a family and eat? Why is there a law that says you can't do that? Simply because of fear. Fear that someone may poison that food. Fear that someone may sue the company because they got an upset stomach after they ate it. And a hundred and one trillion reasons that all comes down to distrust. Who do you trust? Did you trust your mom and dad that Santa was really going to come down the chimney? And were you disappointed when he didn't? In my book, The Rejection Syndrome, I talk about expectations, how we set them up, how we use our soul structure in order to develop our personality and character. But what about our beliefs? What about our brain? I also explain in there the psychology, the way we process those little bits of information and make up our own mind to believe something's wrong or something's good. So coming back to my little story of building all these sandwiches and all this stuff for a party that no one turns up for, what's to stop you standing on the street and saying to anyone who looks like they have no food, would you like this food? It's leftovers. If you went down under a local bridge, subway or somewhere, you're bound to find someone who would say, oh, thank you so much. Instead, you put it in containers, you freeze it, it stays in there forever and ever until eventually you think, I don't want this, and you chuck it. I'm trying to open you up today to the sense of sharing and the sense of thinking outside the box. The things you learned from your grandma or grandmas, grandpas, family both sides, several families, extended family, Maybe mum's married twice, maybe three times, whatever it is. All those family members of the new husband and so on and so forth have to get along. And if we don't learn to think outside the box and share all that we have and all that we can create to give, how can we possibly build trust and love with one another? In Japan, when I'm teaching there, I often have young women come to me and say, do you see me married next year? And I say, well, do you have a boyfriend? Oh, no. Have you ever had a boyfriend? Oh, no. Why do you want to be married? Because my mother says I should be married. And yes, there are still arranged marriages in Japan, China, and the Asian countries. Because it's a belief that if a young woman marries an older man, he'll take care of her. And when he's old, she'll take care of him. So who's going to take care of her? Well, they've got to have kids. But hey, she's not in love with him. But hey, we've got to have sex to have babies. So this painful experience is horrible. But I have children. But every day, I have to worry about them. I have to make sure they pass their exams. I have to make sure they have good jobs because one day they're going to take care of me. And when they do, it's going to be 
they have to earn money to pay my bills. Well, that's a load, isn't it, to have on your shoulders when you're small and sweet and cute? How many people in Europe feel like that? How many people in this country, America, feel like that? Or South America, wherever you go, all over the world. There are people expecting other people to take care of them. Why? Because as children, we were taken care of. Reciprocation. Does it really have to happen? No, it doesn't have to happen. But it does need to be a part of our social society that we share responsibilities in creating a better world to live in. A world where we can breathe the air. A world where we don't fight and throw bombs at one another. A world where we educate one another about our different philosophies, theologies, religions, and accept them, not put them down. A world where we teach. A world where we share medical aid. Whatever it is, we have more than enough resources to be able, in some way, shape or form, to build a world of love. On that note, I want to say to you that if you are in misery, pain and suffering and you can't see your way around anything because everything you look at seems to be, in your opinion, judged by you, a hellhole, write to me at sumariscenter.com and I will be able to counsel you and get you through this negativity to a point where you will understand your soul structure and understand your purpose, your family and all the problems you have. We'll go through them one at a time and work everything out for you. So if you'd like my help, I'm here for you. Just go to my website, sumaricenter.com let me know what you're interested in. Find my phone number there. Call me if you want to or write to me. My email's there too. And let me know how you want help and we'll go from there. I want you to know that there is always help. When you ask, as Jesus said, you will receive. So don't sit there in judgment, hiding under your chief feature saying, rationalizing and justifying, this is what I'm meant to do. Wake up. Wake up to the fact that there are alternatives and those alternatives can be a delight once you give yourself permission to work with them. Your creative self is the key to everything you want to do in this world. If you're ignoring it, you're going to be miserable. Let me help you. So now that I've explained all this to you, I want you to understand that no matter where you go in this world, you'll always see someone who's suffering like you. You can consolidate your misery. You can sit and say, okay, we're sad, we're miserable, let's wallow in pity together. Let's rise up in pity together as an army and fight and hurt people because we're hurting. Or you can say, let's find people who are at peace. Let's ask them, how do they manage to keep their calm and to organize and to structure 
safety amongst many. Yes, it comes down to education, but it doesn't come down to someone forcing it down your throat. It comes down to self-education. Each one of us is responsible for teaching ourselves the right way to do things. There are plenty of models around the world. There are plenty of communications, people offering what they know. Research. Research yourself. Trust that counselors, teachers, lecturers, authors, and so many other things, actors, singers, dancers, they're already somewhere in their lives to help you if you just ask. And if you have no one to ask, go knock on some doors because it will be open to you as Jesus taught. And if there aren't any doors, well, you got to get in your car, go someplace, seek out a place where there are some doors and there are people to ask. Put yourself out to find out. Explore. Because the explorer in you is the key to discovery of all that you are. And on that note, I'll leave you to be happy. Don't forget, I'm there for you if you need me. Bye-bye.